0: Lots of names to call them, but I think my favorite is Father. First John 3 says, see how great the love that the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, for that is who we are. Let's go to our Father. Father, we come together before you, singing your praises, joining our voices with the saints around the world. The saints before your throne now, the angels around your throne, declaring your goodness. And in all that you have made a way for us to call you Father and to know your love for us. So Father, now as we as we just gather in this room, we do it around the truth that you are the way maker. You uh, who make all things have made a way for us to know you, to have life, to to live in this confidence of a relationship with you, to have the hope of, of our brokenness and our past be redeemed and, and made alive in new ways in you, God. We gather here in deep need of who you are and in deep gratitude that you have made a way to have all we need in you, God. Indeed, you are the miracle worker, the light and the darkness. And so, Father, as we turn our attention Through scripture to you, we just ask that you stir in this place, that you shape us to know you more, to live your love of your son more in our life, to just be who you would have us be, God. So to that end, as as your people, we just gather here and we pray together in Jesus Christ's name and we all say amen. Be seated. Be seated. Good morning, church. I've been somewhat uh worried and, and anxious about I guess that's the word about this morning's text it's a hard one it's a it's a it's a doozy of a text that'll become uh, self-explanatory here in just a little bit uh, but at the same time I've, I've been awfully excited about it God has brought just people this week into my office that I wasn't even anticipating that we've had some just amazing conversations around this text it was awesome it's cool to see God minister in that way uh, and so so I'm excited about it so we got we have Work to do this morning. We're jumping right into it. So if you would turn with me to Acts chapter 8 uh, with that awesome intro, we're just going to get right to it, right? Acts chapter 8. There are Bibles in the chair in front of you. Um, I would love for you to turn with us there. Um, we continue on in our in our series in acts as we look at the first church and see how how God has used them was using them and how in turn he is desiring to use us that we are are more of who he would have us be and and what he's designed church to be and so we study acts in that way and, and ask God to move today as he did then Um And we're going to pick up right where we left off last week. We're in verse 9. So if you would turn me uh, in your Bibles there. We're going to read 9 through 17, and we'll just jump right into it this morning. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Yikes. Question. How do you know you're saved? You guys are less talkative than first service. so You got to wake up. <laughs> Question. How do you have assurance that you are saved? You're there. I'm almost there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You trust him. Okay, so you believe in Jesus. You confess that he is Lord. You trust him. But how do you know? How do you, how do you know? You cheated. You're in first service. You stop. Faith. What does the Bible say around this? What does the Bible say around this? Check out Romans chapter 8. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 9 and 11. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. So how do we know we are saved? It's right, the Spirit of God. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, it's evidenced that they are not saved. All right, let's jump ahead a little bit. Ephesians chapter 1 says this. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. This is what you were talking about. You heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So you know what a deposit is before you, you, you come and take something, you put a deposit down, ensuring that it is yours until that time in which you come take full possession of it. So God has given us a deposit until the time when, when we are with Him to guarantee that we are indeed His possession. And what is the guaranteed deposit? What is the deposit? The seal marking our salvation? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And when do we get it? You get it when you believed. When? When you believed, you were marked in him. With the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. Everybody tracking? That makes today's passage really confusing. Did you catch what happened in our passage? Philip goes down, and we got this whole Simon the Sorcerer character. We're going to get to him next week. So let's just hit pause on that for real quick. For now, we're just going to jump right into Philip is preaching the gospel. And, and they were following Philip around, and they're seeing miracle. Verse 12, but when they believed Philip, and we just, we just read, right? When you believed, you were marked with the Holy Spirit. At that point, it says, when they believed Philip, As he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by great signs and miracles. Okay, so they believed. They believed in Jesus. Now, part two of what makes this problematic. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. What? Does that bother any of you? What is happening there? We just got through reading that when you believe, you are given the Holy Spirit as a seal. And yet here we are in Acts, and that's not what happens. They believe, they they are baptized into the name of Jesus, and they don't get the Holy Spirit until Peter and John show up, and they got to lay hands on them and pray on them in order for them to receive the Holy Spirit. What in the world is happening there? Are any of you confused? You should be, because that raises all kinds of theological issues. So you're saying, it's, is, is this text teaching that it's possible to believe in Jesus and not have the Holy Spirit? And evidently, there's something so evidential about having the Holy Spirit that when Peter and John show up, they can go, oh, these guys don't have it, right? That ought to cause some questions for us. Like if Peter and John walk in here and they'd be like, oh, you guys don't have it. <laughs> what is it? How, what, what is the evidence? How do we know, right? Right? Because we just got the reading, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, it ought to be the very thing that we go, oh, I'm saved. I got the Holy Spirit. How do you know? We just said it's belief, but here's some guys that are believing, some women that are believing, and they don't have it. That bothers me. It ought to bother you. So what's going on here? Because we need to hit pause, because there are whole traditions of our brothers and sisters in Christ who take this one story and they run miles with it and they teach that this is proof of what they call the second baptism or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they will teach that at the point of salvation you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which by the way, one of our sisters here that, that is a member here, and, a, and, a, and she, she grew up in this tradition. God sent her my way this week. I did not know she grew up Pentecostal. She and I had wonderful conversations around this. I do not mean this to be derogatory whatsoever. I only say this to say I have issue with that, with that line of thinking because the, the teaching goes like this, that unless you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is proven by speaking in tongues, then you're not saved. Here's the problem with that. Does this text teach that? It does not. It does not. So let's. It's teaching something else. We in agreement with that? Okay. But we got to understand what it's teaching. It's teaching something, and we need to understand it here because there does seem to be some secondary thing that happens in the salvation of the Samaritans. They believed didn't have the Holy Spirit. Somebody had to come lay hands on. It, had the Holy Spirit. So what's happening here? Well, context matters greatly. That's true of any story, by the way, but it matters greatly. The reason you can't take just one story and run with it is because this story is not normative over all of Christianity. In fact, this is the only place where this happens. Something kind of similar happens in Acts 19 when Paul gets to Ephesus. We'll see it there, except for it's different. Because there, they were not baptized into the name of Jesus. And they had never even heard of the Holy Spirit. They had just heard about the baptism of John, the Baptist, which means repentance of sin. That's all they got. So Peter, Paul shows up in Ephesus. He's like, you guys don't know Jesus and salvation? You don't know what you're doing. Let me baptize you in the name of Jesus. Boom, they get the Holy Spirit. Okay? Different story. Here, we have folks that did believe in Jesus. They, were, they did understand they were baptized in Jesus they haven't got the Holy Spirit yet so what's going on what's going on well this marks a unique spot in the development of Christianity up until chapter 8 Christianity had only stayed within the boundaries of of the Jews in Jerusalem the first Christians were all Jews and, and you got to remember, Jews had, 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 had grown up believing that they were the chosen race of God, the children of God, that God had a special blessing on them, that, that God was only for them, not for anybody else. Never mind that through Abraham, the promise was, through you I will bless all the nations. They just forgot all the nations part. They just like the through you part, right? There's a whole sermon there, by the way, um, right? And so they, 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 are, they, are, they are there, and all of a sudden, in Acts chapter 8... God jumps the bounds, and suddenly God is moving in Samaritans. Samaritans are not Jews. They're considered half-Jews. They were part Jewish, part Gentile, which is the biblical word for non-Jews. They were what what Jews derogatorily called them uh, half-breeds. They weren't full Jews. And until the Holy Spirit showed up in their life, Jews would tell you, oh, no, God doesn't choose them. Choose them. They're not of the chosen race. And suddenly, boom, God's moving. And guess what? Here in a little bit, we're going to get to the story of, of God jumping the bounds of just, well, okay, maybe maybe it's okay because they're half Jews. Well, guess what? It's coming when God jumps to the full Gentile, right? At, the, at Cornelius also happens in Acts. So, so this is a special situation that the Holy Spirit shows up in a really special way, that each of those beginning movements are marked with a unique movement of the Holy Spirit. You have, you have in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost coming to the Jews. You have in Acts chapter 8, the Spirit coming upon the Samaritans. And you will have in a few chapters, the Spirit coming onto Cornelius in his house. And there is a common denominator in each of these stories. There's a character who's at each of them, not just the Holy Spirit. Peter is at each of these places. In Acts chapter 2, guess who it was to preach the first sermon where 3,000 people were believed and received the Holy Spirit? Peter, right? Guess who's at Cornelius' house to witness the Holy Spirit coming onto a Gentile that has nothing to do with Judaism? Peter. And guess who shows up here in order to see the Holy Spirit coming upon the Samaritans? Peter. Now, why is that? Well, some commentators, I kind of like this. This is called Jesus promised Peter, hey, I'm going to give you the kingdom of heaven. Do you remember that? Peter's the very first one that says, Jesus, you are the Messiah. And, and Jesus goes, boom, your name is Peter. I'm changing from Simon to Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and I'll give you the kingdoms of heaven. And whatever you, you open and, and loosen the kingdom of heaven, be loose on the kingdom of earth. I don't know what that means, but that's really cool. <laughs> he, got, he got the kingdom of heaven. Isn't it interesting that Peter is at the beginning point of each of these major movements of God? But even beyond that, Peter is a respected leader. He is the agreed-upon mouthpiece leader, he and James and John, of this Christian church. So isn't it of God that they need to send for these these, what would have been grown-up racist, believing that God was only for them Christians, that he needed to send one of their leaders to witness? Wait a second. The Holy Spirit just came upon Samaritans. Oh, we got to go back because, brothers, we got our theology is a little jacked up. It's a little wrong because I just watched the Holy Spirit come on some people that are not fully Jewish. All right, well, let's assimilate that in. And then in a few chapters later, he's at Cornelius' house, a Roman officer. And boom, the Holy Spirit comes on him too. And now he's got to go back and go, hey, man, our theology was really messed up, right? Turns out God loves everybody, right? Jesus died for everybody. And everybody can have the Holy Spirit. So this is a unique experience in the movement of the Holy Spirit in this world. It's the first time for the Holy Spirit to jump the bounds of Judaism. And suddenly now it's in our realm as Gentiles, right? It's coming towards us. It's now available to all of us. So God marks this as a unique experience that Peter got to see it. They all got to see it. But having said all that, I still think there's something that this text can teach us. Because by breaking apart in in, in two parts here where you have belief and you have the Holy Spirit, we can all agree upon something here. That the Holy Spirit is meant to be a central part of what it means to be saved. Not, Not an inferred part but in a central, experiential, evidential part of what it means to be saved to the point that when Peter and John showed up, they go, oh, you got his belief. You don't have, you see, you just got beliefism. You don't have the Holy Spirit. What was that that they could see that was so evidentially absent? What is it that ought to be so evidentially present in us that in our moments of doubt, we can say, no, I know I'm saved because I have the deposit of the Holy Spirit and I have felt him move in my life. What is that? It ought ought to be moving in each of us that we're asking that question. How do I know? How, how How do I know? What is that evidence? Here's what Peter teaches in in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when when he gets through preaching Jesus and the people come to him and they say, hey, hey, uh, uh, Peter, what must me do to be saved? It says they were cut to the heart where Peter says, man, listen, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He gives them that promise. It was meant to be a central element of what it means to be saved. We all tracking with that? Okay. So how do we know we're saved? How do you know? What is the experiential, evidential fruit and development of the Holy Spirit in your life that it just just becomes obvious? Because we need to be asking that. Because you might be here this morning and you've been stuck in this realm of just mental beliefism. Like salvation is supposed to be just checked True or false, Jesus is Savior. True, I'm saved. Guess what? The demons know that he is Lord, and they shudder. There's something born-again, evidential, experiential changing of who you are. So what is that according to Scripture? I'm going to give you six evidences, six experiences of the Holy Spirit in your life to offer as a sense of, of assurance or a sense of worry, <laughs> depending on where you are. Number one, conviction. Conviction. Jesus, John 16, 7 through 8, says this, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. He's talking to his disciples. This is before the the crucifixion. He says, hey, it's good for you that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. I like the ESV says, he will bring conviction regarding sin and righteousness and, and judgment. And so do you hear that? Jesus says, listen, if you have one of the chief proof positives of the Holy Spirit in your life is conviction. It's conviction. When we wander, our sinful nature, there is nothing inside of you that wants to feel bad about doing bad things. Right? Nobody enjoys that. So it's not your sinful nature that cries out saying, stop. Repent of that. Move away from that. That's not of you. That's not of me. Our sinful nature would say, run to it. But there's this voice that cries out. And you might say, isn't that just the conscience? Wait, hold on. Yeah, everybody, whether you're a follower of Christ, might have a conscience. But when you get the Holy Spirit in your life, that PA system is cranked all the way up. And suddenly the voice just gets loud. It gets loud. And look specifically what he is convicting you about. Not what your mom and daddy told you was right or wrong right? He is convicting you about sin and righteousness and judgment. You know the last thing this world wants to think that there is? Myself included. None of us want to think about judgment day. It would be far easier for me if there wasn't a judgment day, and then I could just try to be right or wrong because it feels good. Except for there's the Holy Spirit inside of me that's saying, hey, brother, I'm sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. And one day you will be standing before the throne of God and you are venturing in a path that leads to judgment. Stay away from that. Right. That's not of me. I know me. (laughs) I know what I'm prone to do. And yet there is this spirit inside. By the way, those of you that are are believers, have you ever tried to sin? Come on. You know, you have. It stinks, doesn't it? Like you try and you just feel haunted. Like I can't get away from that. I I try to run away from God. He's like, nope. And that's not God being mean. That's God being leaving the 99 to find the one idiot that likes to run away. Right? Right? Like, is it is it, is it is it mean for the parent to run after the child running in the street? No, that's love. And when you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, suddenly, when you run into the way of danger, you feel conviction going, stop! Right? I also liken it to, to you have a sense to protect you before you ever get into that world. So... For instance, if I go home and make, make dinner for, for my family and I got the stovetop going and, and, and it's hot before, and, and I go to set my hand down before I ever get my hand to the point where it'll burn me and injure me. I have senses of heat coming up and hitting me going Remove your hand so that I am not injured. When you have the Holy Spirit, suddenly you start bumping up against things that are going to cause danger in your life. Get, guess what you suddenly have flaring your head? Go away. Move away. If I if I began to to get close to relationships that would be detrimental to my marriage, suddenly there is this voice going, stay away, run away, bail out now. My flesh is going, hey, run after that. But there's this holy thing inside of me. That's not me. That's not you. That's the Holy Spirit. And what a gift of God. Conviction. Number two. Number two, Christ-likeness. Second, experience and not only do we ex- begin to experience conviction in our life, we begin to experience Christ-likeness in our life. John 14, 26, still talking on that same day to his disciples. He says, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. That's really cool. Jesus is saying, I'm going away, but it's okay because you're going to get the Holy Spirit and he's going to continue to push you towards me. He's going to push you towards Christ. You know, the last thing that your, whole, your, your sinful nature, my sinful nature wants to run towards is Jesus. Sin would cause us to run to, away from God. We want to see the world through our lens, through what makes us comfortable, through what's easy on us. But suddenly we have this other voice that keeps reminding us of Jesus, that keeps pointing and glorifying Jesus in our mind. That causes me to want to, why are you in church on a Sunday morning? You could be sleeping in this morning. You know you're tired. We're all tired. Why am I here, right? Why do you get up in the morning to study scripture? Why do you go to growth group and give up? It's hard. You got to get there after work. You're hungry. The kids are complaining. Why would you give the effort of that when your flesh has quit all of that? And then you can sleep. But your heart has something drawing you going to Christ saying, no, come and know me, experience me, grow in Christ's likeness with me. And you feel this this draw of the Holy Spirit to to truthfulness. Jesus go on and call him the spirit of truth that will teach you all these things. And you find yourself just changing how you see things. Going, huh. I used to really hate that guy. Now I feel a tenderness towards him. That's not me. (laughs) I used to want to punch everybody that was my enemy in the face. Now I'm praying for him. That's not me. That sounds like Jesus. Right? Christ-likeness, drawing to him, a growth of that. Number three. Guidance. This is kind of the combination of those first two. In our growth groups, we've been in Galatians uh, chapter, uh, all of Galatians. Galatians 5 is like the, it's the climax of the book. It, it is the point of, of all the Galatians. He begins teaching on the Holy Spirit and what we have. Here's what he says. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are no longer under the law. So there's something experiential about the Holy Spirit. There's supposed to be centerpiece to what it means to be Christian. That we don't have to follow the law. We follow the Holy Spirit inside of us. And he says, just keep in step with the Holy Spirit. I say live by the Spirit. What does that mean to live by the Spirit? Suddenly you have a guide in your life that you are listening to that is drawing. Can I tell you something? If you feel something inside of you calling you to do something godly, that is not you. You don't want to do godly. That's why you need a Savior. That's why I need a Savior. But there's something inside of you saying, go forgive that person. That's not you. That's the Holy Spirit guiding you. I have had the experience, I know you probably have too, where I've sat at my desk And I'm thinking about something totally different. And I feel a name come to my mind that I haven't thought of or seen in a while. And I can't get it off my mind. I call the guy and he's in tears because he just found out he has to go have heart surgery. And he just needed to ask if I would pray for him. That's not me. I didn't think of that guy. The Holy Spirit is there to be a daily guide in your life. a central piece to what it means to be Christian. It's an experience. It's an experience. Number four: love and connection, Romans 8:14 through15. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, rather the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba is the Aramaic word meaning daddy. We have this spirit inside of us that longs to connect with God. We were on elder retreat a couple weekends ago. and One of our elders said, man, I have the spirit of Jesus inside of me that just longs to connect with his daddy. This morning I was, I was waking up and and my wife and my other two are out of town. And it's just me and Mason. And Mason comes and he crawls in bed with Daddy, my 12-year-old boy. And I just go, "You're not going to be doing this too much longer, are you?" <laughs> and I just curl up with him. I'm going to start crying on you. Do you know how much the daddy loves to curl up with the son, and the son loves to feel the love of the daddy? Do you hear what that is saying? That when you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you have this spirit that longs to connect with your Abba Father. That in, instead of just seeing him as judge and angry, angry king up in heaven or the principal that always wants to get in trouble. Suddenly you look up and you see daddy. And you want to connect with him and there is love there in your soul for a holy God. That's not of you. That's not of you. Sin would cause you to run away from God. The Holy Spirit calls you to run to Him even when you are caught in sin because you know He will forgive you and redeem you and make you anew. We cry out, Abba, Father. Listen to me real quick. You have the Spirit that longs to connect with God. It's been given to you. It's the reason why you've had experiences in worship where you feel the presence of God just wash over you. It's why in quiet times you might feel him just wash over you. It's because the father wants to curl up with his son and the son wants to curl up with his father to give you that connection. Can I warn you? That there is not that connection. That loving place either a you have misunderstood what salvation is or maybe you're stuck in mere beliefism but the call is not just to believe in a Messiah that lived 2,000 years ago it's to believe in a Messiah that lived 2,000 years ago who then enabled me to connect with the living God right here today and that connection is to be the center place of what it means to be a child of God, right? By him we cry out, Abba, Father. Let's keep on going here. Number five, fruitfulness, fruitfulness. Galatians 5, we're back over in Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit, if your kids are in Friday night church, they've been learning this, and the fruit of the limit is love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. That's awesome. That's an awesome list. And the idea here is that Paul says that if you are keeping in step with the spirit, it will produce inside of you like a tree can't help but if a tree is healthy, it will produce the fruit that it was created to produce. When you are walking and living in the spirit, you will have the experience of it producing things inside of you that are not of you. Some of you are naturally self-disciplined people yay on you all right others of us have not met a buffet that we don't like and you don't need to get me near a buffet table and so when I am living I know that and I feel self-discipline in my bones I'm like oh there you are God thank you for that because that's not of me you, you'll see joy where there, there shouldn't be joy. Peace where there shouldn't be peace. Love for people where the world says you should hate each other. Look at your skin colors. Look at your, your belief systems or where you grew up. You should, And all of a sudden we have this love. You know what I, lo- I love when people come to Paseo and they go, man, I just feel the Holy Spirit there. And I go, you know what that is? That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's not us because we're bad people. We're terrible, but God is good. And he takes bad people and he produces new life and he puts in them the the very seeds of salvation for other people as he produces the fruits of the Spirit out of their life. And we just begin to experience that. Isn't that cool? That that, that it's an experience that is beyond us, which goes in hand with, with number six here power. Acts 1 8. Acts 1 8. And you will receive power to be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, to be my witnesses in all Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, that the Spirit will move inside of you and give you gifts and abilities that you did not have before. He will empower you to be his witnesses, right? That's what that's saying, that you will receive power. I always love it when somebody goes, I can't lead a growth group. I'm like, good, I'm not asking you. I'm asking the Holy Spirit inside of you. He's a really good growth group leader. You're like, I can't, I can't share Jesus with somebody. Good, I'm not asking you. I'm asking the Holy Spirit inside of you. And he has promised that he will give you the words to say in the time of need to lead that person. So when you feel yourself inside going, I can't do that, and look back at Satan and go, you're right, I can't. Jesus can, and he's in here. And he promised to empower me to be his witnesses all over the world. And so you're sitting going, I could never be a missionary. Yes, you can. You got the spirit of the living God inside of you. Can I get a witness, Kevin? Huh? Yes. Are you going to the ends of the earth because you're awesome? What skills do you possess in your natural self that are going to make you successful in ministry? And Why is that any different for any of us? It's not. The same spirit that draws Kevin and Sarah to say yes to the ends of the earth is drawing you and empowering you to say yes to be his witnesses here and to the ends of the earth. Some of you right now feel the call to go to the ends of the earth and you're looking back at God and you're going, I can't do that. And God says, come again. I have put the spirit of the one who rose a son from a dead place inside of you. Tell me what you can't do again. I'm really entertained by that. Right? You will receive power. I know most of you have grown up and lived on the West Coast your whole life, but some of us come from the central part of the United States where there's real wind, and I know know you think the Santa Anas are strong. You just need to go hang out in Kansas for a little bit, right, or Iowa. I went to Joplin right after the earthquake, earthquake, right after the tornado, that's a real danger, right after the F5 tornado tornado that hit Joplin. And I took a group of students there to go do some mission work. And you could see the path that this wind made. It split trees and forests like they're an ocean, just split them wide open. And trees were gnarled and bent in every different direction, took houses and just destroyed. Picked up one of the two hospitals of Joplin and turned the entire hospital on its foundation. Wrap your mind around that. What if I were to tell you I don't believe in wind? I don't believe in, I can't see it. What would you say to me? I'm silly? Then <laughs> there are other days when I've sat in the stillness and watched a gentle breeze just blow the leaves. And butterflies float along and I feel it go across my face and I feel peace. What if I were to tell you I don't believe in wind? Nick looked at Jesus in John 3 and thought Jesus was crazy when Jesus said you got to be born of the Spirit. Jesus looked back and guess what he compared the Holy Spirit to? He said, you don't see the wind, but you see its effects. The Holy Spirit is meant to be so efficacious inside of us, so evidential Inside of us, so experiential inside of us that the world might look and in the forest that are us with the fruit of the Spirit on our limbs as the leaves are flowing everywhere, they go, I don't believe in God. I can't see them, but I can't explain that. And that is not of us. It is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And it is meant to be central to what it means to be a Christian. The very thing that we look to and go, I know I'm saved. Because he's here. He is here and he lives. This morning I want to close with either encouragement or challenge. There's more to this. We could stay here all day. We could get into the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We could, we could we can go on and maybe we should. Maybe that's for study of you. The key point of all of it is salvation is not mere beliefism and you go along in your own power. It is an experiential change to your core of the Holy Spirit coming inside of you because of your belief in Jesus Christ. If you have not experienced that, if you would say that my salvation today is not an experiential one, I have reduced faith in the living God to a mere, sometimes I doubt, sometimes I believe, beliefism, that maybe today is the day that changes everything. And you hear the Bible saying, God is not a theory. He is a living God that lives and breathes and moves. And he wants to do that inside of you, in your life. Maybe today is the day you say yes to that. Or maybe you are saved You have experiences with him. But if you're being honest, every day is not a walk and an experience in the Holy Spirit. And you're feeling God calling you to say, hey, that ought to be a central part of what it means to be my child. That a day shouldn't go by where you don't curl up with your Abba Father. And you're feeling him calling you closer. Wherever you are today, I want to invite you to turn your attention to God. There's no magic repeat after me prayer that makes you saved. It is faith in the living God and a receiving of the Holy Spirit because of that faith. If you're ready to do that, you can do that today, right here, right now, in your house, whatever. It's not me that makes you saved. It's not a pastor that makes you saved. It's the living God. You turn to him. You say yes to Jesus. We do offer a class starting next week where John's teaching exploring Christianity, if this is new to you, you want to know more about how you can know the living God, why we can even trust that this Bible that teaches us is real, that class starts second service next week. would love for you to be in that. You can sign up in the hub for that. Right now, let me just say a prayer over us, and then we're going to worship and glorify the living God and ask him to move. Father, we gather here in this moment, in this place because you have drawn us such. Because we feel a seeking and a longing of a child wanting to be with their daddy. For the hearts that are here that don't feel that, that that think this is crazy talk, God, I pray that you do what only you can do. For the hearts that have been made alive in you, that, that know that this is real, that have experienced you. But Father, have been following the sinful nature more than they're following your voice. I thank you for grace, and this morning may you call them back into the life that you called and received and redeemed them to have. Father, for your church here this morning, we just sit before you, the maker of all things. The one who who one day will speak and the mountains will melt like wax before you. The one who who saw us and though we were still sinners and a far way off, you sent Jesus, your son, to die on a cross. The one who poured out all of your wrath of sinfulness onto him that we might stand before you with his redemption in our souls. The one who has given us the Holy Spirit by which we can look to you with the defeat of the empty tomb in our brains and go, God, I am yours. The one who has made a way for us to know you. God, I... None of us can produce that knowledge. Only you can. So Holy Spirit, I am asking, as Peter and John asked on that day, that Holy Spirit, you would stir in the children that you call yours. That we would draw near to you that the world may see you are the living God. God, we just want to be your church, giving you glory until the end of times. and We give ourselves to you. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.